Hello and welcome to European Movement Ireland's podcast series, Just the Chats, where we look at all things Ireland, Europe and of course, a bit of Brexit thrown in for good measure. My name is Noelle O'Connell and I am the Executive Director of European Movement Ireland. Delighted to be joined with us here today by four very special guests who have travelled from afar across both islands as we do a bit of a chat and a discussion on all things Brexit and how that impacts on all of us on both of these islands. We have four special guests, Lara Keane, Claire Tai, Charlie Power and Rory Guinness. And I'm going to ask all of them to tell us a little bit about themselves. and welcome to European Movement Ireland's Just the Chats podcast, where we do a little bit of a deep dive on Ireland, Europe and, of course, all things Brexit. I'm delighted that we're joined here today by four very special people who have travelled from afar across both islands. And I'm going to let them tell a little bit about themselves in a minute. But why are we doing this topic and discussion on all things Brexit here today? Well, basically, back in 2016, European Movement Ireland did a very successful voter registration campaign, really, called Our Phone a Friend, where we reached out to under 4 million people across both Ireland and the UK encouraging people to register to vote and to make sure to have their say. We weren't telling people how they should vote but we were telling people that it was too important a topic to not go out and to vote and to have their say on the Brexit referendum. So fast forward a couple of years later and we want to get the views and perspectives of people across the two islands on what they think of Brexit, how is it affecting their lives, what are their opinions on it and what maybe they think is going to happen over the next coming weeks, months or possibly even years because I don't think we've seen the last of all things Brexit. So to kick things off, I might first of all turn to you, Claire. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Great, Noel. Thanks very much. Um, so, yeah, my name is Claire Tighe. I was director of Irish for Europe during the referendum. So um, very much remember the Phone a Friend campaign. Uh, I was born in London, even though it doesn't always sound it. Um, grew up in County Mayo and I'm now back living in London and I work in Westminster uh, for Labour MP. Fantastic. So so you're covering Mayo, London, Westminster. Exactly, exactly. All the dots. (laughs) All the dots. Brilliant. Thanks a million, Claire. Charlie, moving on to you. Uh, Yeah, I'm Charlie Power. I am a student in second year in UCC studying BSc government. I was born in Belfast um, and I was raised in a seaside village of Coloc. I suppose 13 or so was whenever I first started getting interested in politics around the time of David Cameron's coalition government. Um, following on from that, I did my work experience with uh, MLA Kieran McCarthy in Stormont and then 26 came, 2016 came. And I suppose that was just a whopper of a year. You know, you couldn't not be interested in politics in 2016. Um, and following that, I decided to go down to UCC and study government and a great place to be. Fantastic. I, I, are you the only person in, in County Down from UCC? I remember when I was there myself, I think Mayo or Galway was no. there. Yeah, yeah. No, we've actually, lucky enough, there's two of us, so I'm not alone uh, <laughs> down there. There's two of us that take the, that take the slag it and the jokes, but it's all good fun. It's all um, good fun. And, yeah, d- and down or on the way up with the football, so you're grand. Yes, we'll be back. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks a million, Charlie. Lara, moving on, moving on to you, and I, and I think you might just shade it on the the <laughs> geographically most interesting award uh, for for your background. 
Um, thanks, Noel. So, um, hi, I'm Lara Keane. Um, so, I'm also doing um, BSc Government Political Science in UCC, fun enough. So, um, yeah, so I basically, my, both my parents are from Cork, so, you know, 100% there. <laughs> um, no, had no choice in the matter. Um, and so, yeah, so I was born in Liverpool. Um, we moved around a bit. So I've also lived in um, in York, in Edinburgh for a little bit, um, in Chester. Um, and then we moved to New Zealand um, and I lived there for eight years. So my accent is a little bit mixed. <laughs> um, and then I moved back to Liverpool in 2013. And I think like the most kind of vivid memories I'd have now of kind of political, um, a political atmosphere, I suppose, of, um, of tension. And I don't know, of kind of an interesting political, political atmosphere, should I say, um, was it was after, you know, Margaret Thatcher had died. And obviously in Liverpool, uh, she was not a well-liked figure. So that was certainly very interesting. Um, and then, yeah, and then I've moved to to Cork to go to UCC um, just this September and loving it. So it's great. <laughs> well, the, the one thing that, that uh, struck me from that geographical where in the world uh, roundtable, um, obviously all things New Zealand at the moment, we're, we're a little bit <laughs> sore about, yes. about the rugby. <laughs> yes, I'll have to keep very quiet now in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but it's OK. You're in Cork now, so you're amongst friends. No, perfect. It's great. Thanks a million. Thanks a million, Lara. And and last but by no means least, Rory, Rory Guinness. Hi, Noel. <laughs> With a name, a surname like Guinness. <laughs> uh, so uh, Arthur Guinness came into Dublin in 1759 and started brewing. So I am the eighth generation. Wow. Um, and uh, I'm actually here with the ninth generation as well. My little Aoife is here. Fantastic. And uh, we live uh, primarily in the UK. Uh, but I work uh, in Dublin, in London, and live in Salisbury, Wiltshire, the hot seat of uh, of uh, Brexit England, if you ask me. Um, uh, but uh, I'm obviously very involved with social housing in, in Dublin, where we're still the, the largest social housing um, uh, provider for homeless uh, through the Ivy Trust. Uh, we're still very involved in uh, biomedicine and uh, through the Lister Institute, one of our uh, esteemed members, former board members, won a Nobel uh, Prize to uh, ten days ago, wow. which is a first for us and a first for uh, the Lister, uh, which is great. Fantastic! It's a super moment for science in the UK, and uh, we've been crossing the border between uh, the UK and Ireland for the best part of nine generations. Nine uh, generations! Wow, Rory, that's amazing. It's a it's a hell of a legacy. Yeah. You know, it's an extraordinary legacy to have and the different generations and the different iterations of what the di right. different generations have brought to the pie. Um, but always remembering one very salient thing, which is we were just simple brewers yeah. from Dublin. Yeah. But it's it's so it's so amazing, and I think what what really uh, struck me, Rory, that time that you did the opinion piece for us um, around the time of the referendum, and you brought to bear so uh, um, eloquently your family's history and legacy on the two islands, and 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 I think that's something that 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 resonates a lot in the different type of work that you're involved in. We, I try to keep up with other members of my family, including my dear brother Ned. Um, you know, the 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 the, the, the philanthropic and the uh, uh, entrepreneurial traditions of the family. Um, but it's a hell of a legacy, yeah. and sometimes that is a challenge, and it's a particular challenge at the moment, because hand on heart, I don't know if social housing that we're building in Dublin today will be slowed down. 
uh, in the midst of a chronic housing crisis because of decisions that are taken in Westminster. Okay, so you're seeing that impact, potential impact of Brexit? Potential impact of Brexit. Similarly, wearing a a, a Lister Institute hat, I don't know what British science is going to do without the very significant funding from Europe um, and the incredible collaborations that exist around Europe uh, towards biomedicine. Okay. Wearing a farming hat, Mm. uh, where are we going to be selling our beef to? Wearing an Irish farmer's hat. We farm outside uh, Dublin and Ashburn County Meath. Okay, I'm I'm learning all these new things about uh, the the the, the Guinness uh, endeavours throughout the country. Rory, I, I was always struck. You used to always um, use the analogy of the pint of Guinness crossing the border. Can you remind me of that story again? How many? What way does it? So it starts off in the truck in Dublin and. Uh, the beautiful, creamy, delicious <laughs> pint of Guinness produced <laughs> where it should be in St. James's Gate at Dublin 8. Um, uh, and now uh, quite often will be bottled, uh, canned uh, north of the border and then, uh, and then exported back through Dublin Port. So a hard border there has implications right. for how that uh, pint will then arrive in its final destination. Okay. Again, how can you plan when you don't know what the answer is going to be? Uh, The uh, Diageo have put out uh, noises about uh, there being something around 18,000 lorry crossings a year on their behalf. Now, that involves a lot of uh, milk for Baileys. That involves uh, Guinness crossing the border and so on and so forth. Um, So that's a a logistical nightmare that is potentially going to have to be uh, tolerated by uh, Diageo. Yeah. So it's not just, uh, yeah, it's it's the logistics and, and, and that side of it. And actually coming to you, Charlie, on that, um, joking aside, on the travel side, to get from home down to your digs in Cork, like roughly how long does that take? It generally takes between seven and eight hours. Um, if Because wow. if, I would always take uh, the public transport. I would be dropped to Newry, which would take an hour. And then right. I would uh, get the bus from Newry down to Dublin, which generally takes about two and a half and then I would get the bus from Dublin down to Cork, which, depending what bus you can take, would be anywhere between three and a half and six. So it's a lot of buses, it's a lot of money to pay for the buses. Sure. Um, but I suppose the, uh, the erection of a hard border would make that journey even longer, um, which would certainly not be great, you know. Have you seen any changes, Charlie, in your your travel route or anything like that? Like, luckily enough, no. Actually, I've I haven't seen anything like that. I've heard the stories from home of people saying that, like, there was one one story of people coming on to public transport and asking why they were travelling down, and I can't envisage that happening. Right, because yeah, it's it's just it it just seems incredible to go back to those Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it wouldn't be nice at all for me to travel home and have to have checks and then even going back down to college have to be checked again. Yeah. Um but no, so far no, there's been no adverse effects on me on travel from home down to Cork anyway. Right, okay, okay, fantastic. And 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 long may that continue. Yeah. Um, Larry, you mentioned, um, is Liverpool home for, is that where your family are at the moment or are they back, are they in Ireland or? Uh, it's a bit of both. Um, so all, because both my parents are obviously from Cork, then um, my mum's mum and um, her brother 
uh, they're both um, in Ireland, so um, that's quite good for seeing relatives. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then my dad's family, um, they're all in Cork, and my dad himself, he's between Cork and New Zealand at the moment because he works in New Zealand and he comes back to Cork and sometimes he goes to London. Yeah, it, it's no, that's a commute. But yeah, I mean, life's good for some. Like, he'll yeah. send a picture of him working, you know, air quotes, um, <laughs> and he'll be sitting having a coffee, and I'm like, gosh, okay, oh. <laughs> fair enough. Um, so, yeah, so. So it's for me I just have to go and visit my mom in Liverpool um, which is lovely because I get to catch up with my friends um, but I do worry after Brexit whether I mean whether flights will be more expensive or I'll have to get a visa you know it's um, it's all those kind of worries and for my mom as well because she's Irish she never sought British citizenship or anything like that um, what the complications would be for her potentially so um, We'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> and amongst your friends, Lauren, you're you, you know given given the different uh, geographical countries, you you probably have loads of friends in ac- scattered across the globe. Is Brexit a topic? Is it a worry of concern? How do you, how do you and your your pals feel about it? Um, it's very mixed. I think there's um, some of my friends would have no interest in politics. You know, you'd mention Brexit to them, and they'd be like, "Oh, what's that?" <laughs> um, you know. But did your friends did, did they were they were they able to vote in the referendum? No, none of us were. Um, so right. I would have been 2016. I would have been 15 at the time. Okay. Um, and I remember neither of my parents voted either because they were like, "It's not our problem." And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> realizing afterwards, yeah, it was. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, none of my friends could vote, um, and we kind of just had to watch on as it happened I remember in school though um, we had a big mock referendum and everyone voted um, and yeah it was overwhelmingly remain um, which I mean is to be expected in Liverpool but <laughs> um, but yeah I mean I still get messages from my friends in New Zealand who are like what's happening <laughs> you guys okay do you need to send help <laughs> yeah um, but yeah it's it's certainly very interesting seeing the mixed response I think from different different, different groups yeah. different groups well, well somebody who might know what's <laughs> happening who might have the inside track uh, from Westminster I'm hoping. Claire, can you <laughs> shed a little bit of light on... Gosh, Joel, you're reminding me of sometimes people ring the office, you know, and they're like, but what's really happening behind the scenes? And honestly, the truth is... We we'll just... tell nobody. It's, yeah, love. Yeah. it's just between us. <laughs> Do you know, the truth is, and we always say, look, we don't have a crystal ball. It is literally people living from week to week, you know. I mean, you even see it on the shows and Brexit is absolutely everywhere, you know, but you see it on panels, you see it on shows. Sometimes you just can't really stare into the future. You can stare and take a guess, but no one really knows what's going to happen you know even in terms of Super Saturday gone by I was in Westminster that day there was there was adrenaline but maybe not as much as you might have expected Um, you know I feel that like the debate as the debate goes on I mean there's genuinely an exhaustion Um, you know that's one of the things I really notice about it it's not that people aren't worried they absolutely are but it has been going on so long and there's been so many tricks and there's been so many changes and there's been so many games I guess played that people are a bit exhausted so what happened actually on Super Saturday gone by um, an amendment was passed which actually just allowed for time so it just said look Boris has come back with this new deal we haven't had time to scrutinise it we need to scrutinise it and we just need a bit of time to do that so it's really uh, in terms of what way the, the vote actually goes it's everyone's guess but a lot. I've heard different sources say it's going to come down to a handful of votes between three to six votes and people don't know which way will it be for the deal or you know 
against the deal. Um, a lot of people are calling for a people's vote as well, which should. Yeah, t- tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Uh, just remind some of our listeners, because I think we saw some of the, you know, some of the coverage over the weekend. And I've heard differing views on whether it was tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands or, or, or two million, I think uh, I saw somewhere. So so w- on the ground perspective, what would on you? On the ground, well, I was there actually and it was the, it was a million that, that, would, that turned wow. out, you know, and there was this just atmosphere of people really just saying this is crazy. We have to put this back to the people. And of course, the debate comes up, well, is that undemocratic, you know, but the fact is, you know, the vote that was had in 2016 on Brexit was a vote on the notion of Brexit. This time around, it would be a vote on what Brexit actually is. So it's looking, the people's vote is basically putting it back to the people to say, this is Brexit, this is the deal. Is this what you want? Or do you want to remain to keep things as they are? So that's what there is quite a lot of pressure um, mounting around it, you know. And I mean, I did hear someone say on the rally the other day that this was always going to be end game, that the people's vote was always going to be kind of the last option, you know. So I feel like it's still in play. I mean, I'm sure if you polled different people, you know, it would be different. Uh, there'd be different takes on it. But I do feel the people's vote is still in play and there's still some hope for it yet. And just in terms of, of balance, because we are nothing if, <laughs> uh, if being neutral and, and balanced, what is your take, Claire, on those who advocate the so-called crash out, no deal, hard Brexit, leave on WTO terms and sail off into glorious sunny uplands? I think it's terrifying, Noel, in a word. I think it is. Right. It's. I think it's irresponsible. Um, honestly, there's just so many unanswered questions, you know, and I think... There are those that call for it. And a lot of people say that's part of the tactics of the game. That's how you influence, you know, that's how you strong arm and get get what you really want. I think it's really, really responsible. There is some support for it, you know, but I think it would do untold damage to the economy and also to, you know, to Britain's reputation as well. Like it's, you know, it's it's negotiating reputation as well, you know, but it's. I, yeah, I think that there's not as much appetite for it. I think it was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of talk about it. It was bravado. And I think it's, you know, I, I think it's basically, it's, it's, it's not going to come to pass, but it was definitely part of the tactics that were being used. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Um, no, it's, 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 it's certainly, um, it's certainly, uh, I suppose it's just, it's just one that it's so complex and multifaceted. And I, and I think you probably see that, um, you know, across the board. I mean, Charlie, for you and, and home, um, yeah. how how do you see Brexit impacting, you know, your, your community, your, your, your family, your, 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 you know, did you did you vote? Were you able to vote? I was able to vote. Yeah. Yeah. I was lucky enough to be able to vote in 2016. I'd only turned 18 a couple of months. Right, so you had, you um, had the vote, you had the say. Yeah, but I would be in the same boat as Claire, actually. I'm really, really worried about this crash out no deal. I mean, when you see the headline in the Telegraph that says Northern Ireland is a burden on the rest of the UK, we can't let it get in the way of Brexit. It's very, very worrying. I think we all saw the clip on Question Time that did the rounds mm. the other week, this fella saying you know, we as the mainland, we're we're the mainland. Um, this backstop is clearly the issue. Why can't we let Ireland, the island of Ireland, be an island? And he was saying it as we, as if they can actually implement that themselves is still on Irish people and on the north of Ireland. So it seems to be that, you know, these people like the John- Johnsons, the Dominic Cummings of this world, are, you know, English nationalists. They don't know if they really want Ireland in the Union and if it is a sacrifice to be part of Brexit 
that could be it. And it's not just me who feels that. I mean, you had a piece written by Rory Carroll recently there in the Observer that he said he went to Lisbon. Lisbon would be typically a very stronghold loyalist area. They're terrified as well. Absolutely terrified. They so think that fear of the unknown across yeah, both communities. Yeah, yeah, Charney, right. yeah. yeah. So, so, and is 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 that something that you're seeing, you know, in discussions with, you know, your friends, and and just is it something that, I suppose, we hear a lot of it, right? But mm. what level is it is it at? Like, does it does it arise in every conversation? And you know, is is it as worrying and prevalent uh, as 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 you've kind of uh, outlined to us today? That's well, a lot of people would be saying that they're terrified, and a lot of people are just exhausted. They're knackered. They just want something. Right. They want something to say. To just let's, point, yeah, yeah, let's let's just end this. Mm. And then you've got on the, you know, on the other side of it, people say, no, you can't end it. This is just going to end disastrously. So there's th- there's people at loggerheads. I would disagree with many of my friends on the situation at home. I disagree with some of my friends down south. Even my even my friends in Cork are fed up of it. They, they're not part of Brexit. Well, they are inevitably going to be part of Brexit. Um, but it's huge different size to it. People are exhausted. Some people are, you know, rule Britannia, let's go for it, we're going to make it. And some people are just terrified. Wow, and so that dichotomy, and Rory, you probably see that given, you know, um, given where you're at and kind of crossing the two islands regularly and on the business side of things. Is there a sense now, we're, we're three years on, is there a sense of let's just get this over and done with or are people determined to try and mitigate the 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 you know the worst impacts of it potentially or where do you from your conversations and debates where do you see it falling falling at um the the saddest case that that i uh, have come across would be a series of friends who would honestly say we want it over with we were remainers we're just so mm. bored with it we want out And that is just tragic to me because that is being forced into a situation through monotony, through boredom, through lack of energy, through whatever it is, into a political situation, which is which is potentially Mm. very dangerous. You know, Mm. Um, so that's one category. The other category is to say this. What is Brexit? I mean, I still scratch my head (laughs) and so does the whole of Westminster. Every single minute of the day, what is Brexit? You ask a room filled with 100 professors of political science and they will give you 100 different answers. Mm -hmm. No one has told me what Brexit is. Mm -hmm. Now, how can how is anyone supposed to take a decision on what Brexit is if you don't know what what it is? To, so, to paraphrase Theresa May, poorly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the biggest load of jingoism, isn't it? Right. I mean, it's just a joke. So you see that that lack of confusion and lack of clarity about the very essence of Brexit. How did we get here? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and the British political classes have a lot on all sides. Have a lot to yeah, be responsible yeah, for, yeah. for for getting this for getting the the, the, the population so confused and the mm-hmm. world so confused. And I I'm sorry to say I think Europe has a has a mm-hmm. role to play here because for as much as I might be a, a, a believer in the concept of Europe, my God, Europe's done such a bad job of selling itself over the last two, three decades. Um, it is, uh, it is a, 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 a load of institutions that you can look at, as, as British media often does, and, and pokes holes in and points out the, the uh, idiosyncrasies that are sometimes yeah, difficult to uh, justify yeah. on a, a, to, a, to a tax 
tax-paying audience. So, I mean, I, I think there's, there's, there's wider questions across the whole of the European jur- jurisprudence. Right. So, in your opinion, Rory, do you think the EU could have or, or should have done more in terms of the, the dialogue and the debate around Brexit? I mean, would, would that be something that the rest of you guys would, would have a view on? I have to hop in at you, Rory. I was, I was nodding in agreement. You know, one of the things I found during the campaign, we were out campaigning, trying typically to get to the Irish lobby. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to this lovely man who I know very well. And he had a security guard there in London for years. He's from County Tipperary. And I remember saying to him, he was all for leave. And I was amazed. I was like, but now let's, you know, as we think about this, like I know I was going through all the obvious points that we had kind of aimed at the Irish uh, lobby over there and he said well you know Claire it boils down to you know what is the EU up to really I mean it's busy there giving cheap passports and I was like well let's just have a think about that well, he was like no no I've been reading about it you know and he said I said well where would they keep the passports you know and it started a chat about it but yeah. I think there has been I think it is it, Brexit has really thrown up this this idea of how the EU is understood out there it's so often misunderstood exactly. it's depressing and it's heartbreaking to see how misrepresented <laughs> it is mm. you know and I have heard such passionate speakers since Brexit or since the referendum result came through mm-hmm. saying you know my god this is about peace this is a peace project at its heart mm-hmm. it is collaboration it's neighbourliness some things we can't solve on our own yeah. we have to solve together but all of that seemed lost in the noise and I have to say I had flashbacks to the Lisbon Treaty referendum here and you know first time round the the debate became about anything but the treaty you know it became about different issues and straight I could bananas see Exactly, you know, and that's the thing. And suddenly you find people were responding, saying like, well, now on the merit of straight bananas, you know, but yeah. they were getting caught up and the oxygen was going on, on, you know, what what was not the heart of the issue. And yeah. personally speaking, and I, again, this is very much from the campaign perspective. I spoke with people who were very upset about the NHS, for instance. They said mm. the NHS isn't getting, you know, I have to wait three weeks to see the doctor. But we were, I guess, and during the campaign trying to join the dots, I mean, that's not an EU, that's not yeah. re- that's not to do with the EU. Look at mm. all the doctors from the EU, the nurses from the EU. Exactly. That's about kind of cuts being made in the NHS and your point is right, you shouldn't have to wait three weeks, but that's, don't don't vote for this because because of that, you know. Exactly. There was so much don't confusion. Don't blame Brexit for, for that. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And, and, and there's a bigger point here, which is the link between the voter and the elected member of parliament. Mm. Yeah. And I think in Britain, it's just so catastrophically different to mm. that link that exists in the Irish context. Mm. I think even in Northern Ireland, I think it's better... Th- but in in the, in the south, I think it's something that that is that is that sometimes seen as, as as being slightly dodgy, you know, slightly brown envelopeish, yeah. you know, pay off your TD, you know, who's who's going to get the the, the we're, boiler we're fixed really quicker? Right? You know? <laughs> yeah. But 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 the point being that there is a link there. There is you know your TD is known to you. You know, um, you know, th- I suppose, mm-hmm. Murray, is that though because of us being a smaller country as well? That's part of it. You know? yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. it's geography. It's geography um, yeah. but, but you know, to the wider, to Claire's wider point, it's, it's got to also be slightly about austerity. It's got to also be about the sense of community. You know, when we're building uh, estates uh, in uh, around Dublin, we are so conscious of putting in a heart into that community because we know that we're dealing with people who are who have less. So therefore, we need to build facilities around them. And that could be creches, that could be gardening Mm. clubs, that could be a room to have a tea and coffee in once a week. We arrange tea parties for our older folk. We take pride in that because that's what we do and it's in our DNA. But, you know, seeing that sort of model in the UK just doesn't exist. The link into the community, making, making the citizen feel part of the community seems to have somehow 
disappeared. Yeah, so that, uh, it's such an important part of that. And actually, following on from that, Laura, you you mentioned um, very interestingly your friends and family in New Zealand, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, a, a country I didn't think we were going to be talking about <laughs> and all things Brexit, but why not? Let's just go for it. Um, what is the perspective from New Zealand? Like, like obviously, when the UK, when, when Britain joined um, the EC as it was then, there was a huge sharp shock for New Zealand and Australia in terms of their largest agricultural trading partner, etc. And that was a real shock, I know, from, from from talking to them. But how is it viewed, you know, now, Brexit, and where do they see it going? Right. I'm, I'm not too sure. <laughs> yeah. um, because when the last time I properly lived in New Zealand was 2012. So that would have been a few years before there was this whole awareness about you know the EU and the UK having this sure. whole problem. But there's, I think, to be honest, there's a bit of a phenomenon in New Zealand where things are world famous in New Zealand. <laughs> and it's quite insular. So although I think things are massive here, um, in New Zealand, you just wouldn't have any awareness. Like, because I myself wouldn't feel European. I didn't know that right. I, I, before I got to UCC, I didn't even know that like the EU was a peace project. I didn't even know what the EU was. Like, I just thought it's this economic thing that people talked about that was like, I don't know, just made laws, just helped with countries, you know, helped, helped them all, you know, kept them together. Um, because in New Zealand, there's not a huge awareness of Europe. It's it's Europe as this whole other thing. It's, right. it's, a, it's away from you. It's kind of, they're doing their own thing, leading to us. That's kind of it. And New Zealand and Australia are very kind of that's that's your part of the world, and you kind of get all the news sure. from there. Um, and so yeah, so like it's it's weird because I kind of grew up with no awareness of what was happening on this side of the world. And then you come back, and everyone's like, "Wait, you you didn't know that there was a war in Iraq?" And I was like, "What? <laughs> what's that? <laughs> what's Eurovision? <laughs> what is this? Um, Hang on, yeah. breaking news. What's Eurovision? Okay, <laughs> yeah. I do our own podcast on that one. <laughs> I promise, I know now. Just the turkey. I'm onto it." <laughs> But um, but yeah, it's very strange coming back and then this be, there being this whole other world of things you didn't even know about. Like because um, now I've heard about Europe even more like than in the UK because even Liverpool is massively Europe orientated. Um, probably more yeah, so tell us a little bit about that. I think that would be interesting. Mm. Obviously, there's a really strong connection between Ireland and mm. and Liverpool. Um, uh, you know. How do you see it from the Liverpool perspective? Is is that true? Is is there an awareness in Liverpool that Brexit is going to impact on this island? Or oh, definitely, definitely. I'd say more than probably other parts of the UK. Um, I'd say maybe Birmingham, Manchester as well might feel that kind of that awareness as well because they're Irish communities. Um, but I mean, we have there's an Irish centre. Um, you know, there's huge awareness of the Irish community. We even have a big Irish music festival <laughs> every year. So it's definitely a big part of the culture. Um, and yeah, it's very strange because obviously um, Liverpool in the ACs was kind of left by the Conservative government um, and it was really rebuilt by the EU. So um, it's been a massive part of its history. So I think when Brexit came around, there was a big kind of thinking in, in Liverpool that, you know, oh, we're just supposed to remain because obviously, you know, like there's, there's why, why would there be this argument to leave? Because it's done so much for us, um, which wasn't a conversation that was being had elsewhere in the UK. Um, why was that, Lara? Why do you think that was? Why, why do you think in Liverpool particularly that conversation mm-hmm. took place and not in? And I mean, actually, I might throw that over to, to the rest of you because 
being, being the being the, the the cork person here. But from your your perspective, why do you think that conversation? Uh, well, it's such an international city. I think just ultimately um, as a port, and then obviously its role um, in the slave trade. Unfortunately, um, and because even it's got like the slave trade museum, and there's a whole awareness of being international and having like different aspects of different communities. Um, and it's such a mixed city. There's there's so many different cultures that all become one. <laughs> and so it's like a real melting pot. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and then, yeah, so the Irish community is just one part of that, really. Um, and I think that that's kind of where it comes from, that the EU, again, is just this big mix of different countries. And I think Liverpool definitely feels the impact of that. Um, and then, obviously, that link as well with the EU funding that helped rebuild the city, really. Um, and it was, uh, I think, European Capital of Culture in 2008, mm -hmm. I think, as well. So, um, and obviously, around the crash and stuff, that definitely fed into it. So, um, so I would say that's probably the link there. Laura, what, what, what about the um, element of uh, uh, Tory right-wing tabloid newspapers yes. whose name we can't mention or we can't mention? Not selling in Liverpool <laughs> because yeah. of certain historic factors. Do, does that does that feature? Um, yeah, I think that that's definitely something that's maybe missing from the conversation. Oddly enough, yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd say that there's there's still that element of anti-immigration. I would say is still something that I've heard a little bit kind of of from different different parts of the community I'd say we're having that kind of same feeling um, but it's not as strong it's not as kind of pushed by the media because we have our own kind of media like um, the echo as well as kind of probably the one that most people read and that's very local so um, mm. so you'd focus a lot more about you know local politics and the impact that the EU has had locally rather than the country so it's kind of People's Republic of Liverpool really oh, <laughs> like, <yes. laughs> yeah. and, and from People's Republic of Liverpool to People's Republic of Cork Charlie if I can go to you just to, uh, yeah. do you notice much of a difference following on from what Lara and Rory were talking about the media theme do you see much of a difference on how Brexit is discussed and debated media wise say when you're studying in Cork versus when you're up home in, in, in down yeah a massive massive difference yeah really yeah I see it like I, I generally access my news through Twitter anyway okay um but, you know, we're lucky enough to be nodded in the right directions by the likes of Mary Murphy and Clodagh Harris and all these people who um, encourage you what to read. But the difference for me is simply that the media is like it's fact based. It's not just based on speculation and division. Do you know, as whenever you see Levy, you putting up a picture of Angela Merkel and having the word cried next to her and does, that would never happen in Cork. You would never see this tabloid thing coming up out against things like Merkel like that or anything um, but at home it's still black and white it's it's still and even seeing the papers from across the water as well but down south certainly the access is plenty shades of grey right, I would say okay, okay. and so you're you're kind of saying it's more black and white and in, in court yeah you're this or you're that whenever you're home but here it's uh, shades of grey definitely yeah and do you think that division has solidified because of Brexit? Has it has it brought it into sharper focus? I I, I don't know. I I can't can't predict that. I don't. It's yeah. certainly down south. There's a bigger feeling of unity. Um, right. For me, anyway, I I since Brexit, I feel more European. Since I've moved to Cork, I feel more European. Certainly. Um, now, if the if the difference of that is people in the north 
now feel closer to the union. They feel less European. Maybe that's going to be an implication of Brexit, but I don't know. I I couldn't I couldn't tell you. Well, I just it's yeah. very much up in the air, you know. Yeah, if we and we will do that crystal ball gazing. So I'm sorry. I'm going to ask you all to look into into your crystal balls, um, Claire. We're you know if we were to look at um, look forward, I guess two questions: Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, we we've had a number of. Brexit days marked in the calendar and work. What do you think is going to happen 31st of October and where will we be the 1st of November? I know I'm putting you on the spot. (laughs) Do you know, even as you say the question, you just get that lurch feeling because you just don't know. That is, if if Brexit, you know, uncertainty is just what Brexit brings. You know, I, by the 31st, um, I guess the vote will either have gone through on the deal or there'll be an extension. You know, it can't, crashing out is not an option um, yeah that's that's my guess at the moment okay. but I know that even we were talking about having a bonfire and everyone's like no no well we have to see what happens you know it's it's amazing how it, it, it interferes so much with planning and that was one of the things I noticed really early on in the debate like how business was distraught really at how the level of uncertainty and I heard that phrase so many times that business hates uncertainty and it's I really think we have heard so many traumatised voices uh, you know from people just not knowing how to plan or what to expect Um, so So yeah you're you're saying the business community would be yeah, it's it's been very it's been really distressing. It's you know to hear people honestly. I mean, not not just the business community, but like you know, in particular, I remember those initial meetings with people saying, "Well, this just can't happen," you know. And how is it that we are like weeks out from from the vote and we really don't know, you know, or weeks out from the end of October, we really don't know what way it's gonna gonna come out. You know, it's um, it really it's just hard to believe. If someone said six months ago, "This is you know where we're going to be," I think people would have struggled to believe it. Mm. They think and they they hoped it would have been resolved by now, and it's just not. It's, it's still not right. <laughs> okay, so Claire hasn't given us much optimism in the crystal ball gazing. <laughs> Rory, I'm banking it all on you. Um, bit of optimism. Let's look at Stormont. I mean, yeah. wouldn't it be mm-hmm. amazing? If chaos in Westminster brought Belfast together, <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that be a great outcome? And there we have our soundbite, uh, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> right. Is, so you think, Rory, that could happen? Charlie, Claire, Charlie, would you, what do you think? Uh, Are you going to dampen I, the optimism now? Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hold my breath, but fingers Fair crossed. Enough. Fingers crossed. Very good. Very good. Um, and I just might get us to, okay. You know, we always try to bring different voices, views, perspectives on the whole Irish-European relationship. And obviously Brexit has 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 um, added something extra into that mix. But if I was to fast forward, um, we'll say, what are we now? 2019, fast forward five years. I might just go around the table. Where do you think we're going to be? Will Brexit have happened? What will what will happen, uh, Stormont? <laughs> and and on a serious note, where do you guys all see the future of Europe? So there's kind of three questions, but I'm going to give you all a chance to to maybe answer them. So I might start, Lara, with you. We'll we'll go first with you, <laughs> right? So you're first in the crystal ball gazing. So, I mean, hopefully we won't be in an eternal Brexit. I mean, if there's just extension upon extension, we'll see. But um, I think it'd be interesting to see whether the EU goes for another extension, you know, because I don't know what they think they're going to do in three months that they haven't done in three years. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's very, I mean, it's all very last minute. Like, I was just thinking the other day, like, 
me and the UK have a lot in common. I mean, we both leave things to the last minute. <laughs> and like, I, I just, I, I can't see it working, really. I, I don't know. They're going to have to have some kind of tiebreaker here, whether that's at people's votes or whether that's someone just calls it off, whether Boris just goes, you know what, <laughs> this is too much effort. Let's just, let's just stay. Um, but I don't know. I think so it'll do, be- but do you think Brexit will have happened in some form? Ah, oh, I don't know. I, I'm going to take a really pessimistic view. I feel like there will probably be no deal because I can't see anybody get like actually getting negotiations to the extent that everyone wants negotiations, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I can't see anyone be happy with a deal or happy without a deal. So I think everyone's just going to kind of leave it to last minute, not going to get an extension, and they're going to be like, right, you're out. <laughs> and we'll probably get a no deal. That's that's my, I don't want no deal. And to be honest, I think it's probably the worst case scenario. But I don't think anyone can agree on anything else. So if there's, you know, if, until we run out of extensions, I can't see anything else happening. <laughs> okay, well, okay, so one vote for no deal. Right. Charlie, over to you. <laughs> I think there will be a deal. I don't know if the deal will be any good, but I think there will be a deal due to the exhaustion. Mm. I think this this could this could be an, ultimately a plan. Let's knacker everybody until they say, just get us out. Come on. And the end game for MPs is getting re-elected. So how long is it going to be before MPs start finally realising some constituencies, I'm going to be out of a job here if I don't say if I don't sign on to this, and that 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 could be what it is. And then after that, chances are general election will be coming up soon enough again. I'd love to say the Tories won't be in. Chances are they will be in. And then where where do where do we go? Where does Northern Ireland go from there? Are we still going to be part of the union? Is Scotland still going to be part of the union? In this type of Tory government where you've got a Home Secretary and Foreign Secretary as you do at the moment. And then after that, who knows, 2024, maybe not a United Ireland. Um, 2034, maybe, do you know. Okay, wow, interesting. Okay, so a deal and possibility of United Ireland by 2034, right? Yeah. Okay. Claire, on to you. Um, gosh, well, five years... Um I'm going Mayo to will have won the All Ireland. Yeah. Right? <laughs> we just go with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess my hopes are on a people's vote. Um, you know, I think there is a chance. I know it's. I know it seems unlikely, but these things often do. I think. I think hope is still alive. You know, the day after the referendum, I remember talking to my dad, and he said. Um, the only cure for Brexit is the taste of it. And I know I, I mentioned that to you during the, the many days that followed. And I think um, if there's a people's vote, I, I guess the one thing is it, I feel it puts it to rest because it's a vote on the deal. So people say, yep, we know this is the deal. We know it's not great, but we're going to go for it. Um, or it also puts Remain back in place. So, you know, but one way or the other in five years time, I'm going to hope that it won't remain. But if it is not, and if people are getting their taste of Brexit, they'll maybe be saying, do you know that old EU thing? It's not that bad after all. And maybe trying to find a way back, mm. I think. But I know it's kind of, it's almost like what, what cures Brexit is, is the big question. And, you know, and I think Rory made such a good point earlier. What even is Brexit? You know, where did it come from? It has become so many things. But I think... Um, that's my that's my hope Noel people's vote hoping for remain and if not finding a long way back in okay right very good long way back in Rory over to your good self Noel I'm not strong enough to give you a five year I'm going <laughs> to be I'm going to be stick my neck on the line and give you a hundred year wow projection yeah that is that the Brexit cat is out the bag that is that we will still be debating in Britain whether it should be part of a bigger 
economic, environmental, social package or whether Britain is best on its own. And God knows what the solution is going to be in 100 years' time because uh, I don't think anyone knows what the next week holds. <laughs> <laughs> and on that very sombre and sobering <laughs> note that there is no escape from Brexit <laughs> I think we leave the, the final words uh, to, to Rory can I just say a huge thank you to all my guests uh, here for our Just the Chats podcast on all things Brexit I think the different perspectives that you all brought to bear um, were fantastic and uh, look forward to having you on again for the next update hopefully not in 100 years but before that <laughs> I'll keep up the good work Noelle you're doing great it was great work Thank you very much. Thank you. European Movement Ireland's Just the Chats podcast series is part of the work that we're going to be doing over the coming months as we debate the future of Europe. We look at all things Brexit, Ireland and the EU. And it's part of our work to bring to bear a range of different voices, of different perspectives, not just here in Ireland, but across the two islands and across the continent as we look to chart and navigate the future of Europe and how Ireland's relationship with the EU is evolving over the years ahead. Thank you for listening in. Make sure to follow us online across the various social media platforms and our website, europeanmovement.ie. If you have any comments or questions, suggestions or even ideas for an upcoming podcast, don't hesitate to drop a line and get in touch.